Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm so glad to have uh, Todd Mulliken in studio with me today. Todd is a counselor um, and a, a professor, and he does all kinds of great work helping individuals and couples at Mulliken, uh, ToddMulliken.com. You can go check it out. His practice is uh, right here in Edina, Minnesota, but he also, I'm sure, can talk online. Is that true, Todd? It is true. Yeah, I figured yeah. so. Everybody talks online right now. They do. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the silver linings of the pandemic, at least. Yeah, Absolutely. And today, uh, we're going to talk a little bit how couples can learn to accept each other's differences versus trying to change each other. Good luck, Todd. <laughs> I'll, I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where do we start with this one? Mm. Yeah, I think it ends up being one of those topics that people maybe don't come in initially to talk about, but we get to it pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> right, because there's a problem and someone has to change. Yes. Yeah. And when we're different, it's really easy to look at, you know, the struggle the other person is having to be, not become like me in this area. So I've seen three to four general areas where that's a problem. And it's really been neat, Bill, to see like how when we reframe it and say, hey, we're not waking up trying to make life hard on our spouse. We're just going about the day differently, or we have different ways where we're energized in the Lord, or we have different ways that we take in information from each other, or different ways to just go about the day, but we're still for each other and still love each other. So when people start to realize it's not being done intentionally to them, it really can be a game changer, right? It can release some of the resentments they've had and go, oh, that makes sense. And we're still in that struggle but we still know we're for each other and God's on the throne and it's, and it's okay. It's not something that's causing more divide or helping people to grow apart versus together. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting to get after that and reframe that in our minds. You know, Romans fifteen seven says, accept one another as Christ accepts us in order to bring praise to God. So I think it's, it's something I do a fair amount of with couples, at least a session or two on that. <laughs> for sure with pre-marriage couples, we do mm-hmm. that. Um, just to give them a head start on when they bump into those differences. Yeah. So, Todd, when we talk about uh, couples learning to accept each other's differences, isn't it important to lay on the table what those differences are? Yeah. And just to say, here they are. Can we be a little good-natured about them? Can we, can we have some smiles yeah. and laughs, or are we taking everything so ultra-personally? Yeah. We just have differences. That's okay, isn't it? It's, in fact, important. Okay. Right? I mean, if we're if we're always the same... And everything that usually causes its own issues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. Right. So, like one of the ways that may, might seem very common is is the intro, introvert extrovert thing. So, often I'm dealing with couples where the person that's extroverted, Bill, is very like uh, wants to connect, wants to express, wants to externally process, wants to stay late at the gathering, just wants to meet people and make connections and stay active, right? 
And oftentimes, spiritually, their growth is in groups or connecting or being involved in corporate worship. And, and they're really into that and love that. And they get energized by that. So when they're really down, the best thing for them to do is to kind of get going, right? And to connect and a little bit busier, the better. Not so it's a frenetic pace, but activity, you know, they, they would prefer a few things going on versus one thing. And they prefer activity. So the introvert is naturally very different. They're introspective. They're reflective. They internally process things first. They love quiet. You know, they're re-energized by quiet. Mm -hmm. They're re-energized by one or two close friends. Unfamiliar territory is draining to them. Extroverts don't mind going in unfamiliar situations and, hey, you know, <laughs> yeah. here I am, what's going on? What's going on? Yeah. I don't know, you know, you know but hey, yeah. you know, and their spouse is going, you're so shallow, you know, what's, or the extrovert tells the introvert, why do you not have more friends or why do you want to leave so early or, and golly, you're, you're quiet. I don't feel connected to you. You never speak enough. And then we start taking it personally. So the expressive person starts to feel like, hey, the person that's quiet or internal has got an issue with them or is detached from them or doesn't know their feelings enough. Or the introvert is saying, why why can't you just slow down? Why don't you have a longer quiet time? (laughs) Why don't you really, you know, it seems like you're fairly shallow in your relationships. And it really concerns me. But if you're having this conversation in counseling, shouldn't this come up a long time ago? Shouldn't this been a part of the uh, premarital counseling? Or, uh, boy, we really are quite different on this topic. You like watching hockey at night, and I like reading. Right. Um, So I can't believe how different we are. We should both like reading at night. (laughs) (laughs) And why don't you like reading? Why don't you like reading at night? (laughs) Because the hockey's on. Right. (laughs) And, you know, you're shallow for loving hockey. Thank you. Yeah. I'll take that as a compliment coming from you, <laughs> of all people. All right. Yeah. Pot kettle black, right? Yeah. Exactly. Oh, so one of the books I read a long time ago uh, by John Gottman, who was one of the, oh, you know, yeah. great, great thinker. Yes. And he said, uh, couples are in sync about a third of the time. Yeah. And he said the most perf- perfect relationship is a, a mother with her newborn. And they're in sync about a third of the time. Well said. Yeah. So I, I think, do, do some people uh, think that it's, we, we just need to be in sync all the time. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we've got differences. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Todd? Todd Mulligan? Yeah, I think, and again, I would offer that if I grew up in an environment that was out of sync a lot, or I grew up in an environment where there was trauma, or there was pain or there was a lack of resolve and conflicts, then when somebody is quiet and I'm really expressive, then bad things are going to happen because bad things used to happen versus reframing it and saying, hey, no, this is somebody that I'm for and this is how God has made him or her in God's image. And so we, when they reframe it in their mind, that quiets it. But to ask, answer your question about you know, we just sometimes we don't bump into that. When you're courting, you don't really bump into that stuff as much, right? So pre-marriage counseling can really help unpack that. So that's one. 
That's really a big one, and it's wonderful to reframe it. I mean, I'm constantly dealing with couples where, like, the biggest one typically is when the woman is more expressive and more extroverted, and the man is more internal and introverted. And what's reframing things is these books that have come out, Bill, the last 10, 15 years, like The Power of Quiet, right? Where introverts are, I mean, I was dealing in my office a lot with teenagers that were big high schools, and they felt anxious, and they felt... Um, unloved, they felt disconnected, they felt their low self-worth, their faith was crumbling, and some of it was just realizing they're naturally introverted in a campus, if you will, of a high school of 3,000 people, and that's okay. Yeah. You know what, there's 40%, at least 45% of people that feel exactly the way you do, and it's beautiful that you love quiet, and it's beautiful that there's two friends that you want to connect with, and it's, be- it's beautiful. That's how God has made you. Mm-hmm. So when reframing the discussion really helps. Um, that's one. Another one that's a big one is how we gather information when our spouse is talking to us. Some people, about 70% of the world, are what we call sensing people where they like, you know, you're telling me this and it's predictable, it's methodical, it's practical. Here's what I'm hearing. Got it. Good. We're good. 30% of the world are intuits, intuitives. So they're hearing something, they're going, hmm, I wonder if Bill meant that, or his body language is saying this, so I wonder if it's that, or, huh, you know, God is telling me now, like, I think we might be, should be talking about this, or, huh, a few days ago this happened, and I'm wondering if that connects to this. So they're, whoop, they're out in the forest exploring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so when you're different that way, you probably don't even need, need to talk anymore about that, right? It's really challenging for both. And the person that's out in the forest feels like they've married somebody that's really like short and curt and predictable and inside the box only. And the person that's sensing views their intuitive spouse as like, just rein it in, will you? I mean, can we just get back to what we were saying initially here? And so what I have the sensing person do is say, hey, take your spouse's hand and walk them through the forest, right? Just walk through the forest with him or her. Listen. And it really helps them reframe it, that that's just the way they process adventure. You know, God's made them and kind of even a prophetic edge to them a lot of times, right? And God's made them that way. Mm -hmm. And so we get to walk alongside that. And then I tell the intuitive type when you're married to the sensing type, hey, you know, it's they are, they're, they're predictable, they're methodical, they're logical, they're practical, and there's wonder in that. There's a spiritual gift of administration in that. There's just gifts in that. And it doesn't mean they're shutting, they're, they're narrowing you in. It means they're trying to sort it out in a way that helps them figure it out. So when we reframe that, it really helps. So I tell, and I've had, I can think of many couples recently where I say, hey, the person that's intuitive, they see the forest, but they don't see the tree. Mm-hmm. And the person that's sensing sees the tree, but doesn't see the forest. But we love each other and we're for each other. And when I give that talk, like I'm asked to give a talk to pre-marriage couples, and, and, you know, and once in a great while when they do come up afterwards, that's one of the things they talk about. is like, oh, it's forest and tree. That's it. Mm-hmm. Versus it's easy to judge that difference, right? It's easy to come up with our own explanation about why they just keep going out there versus listening to what I had to say and keeping it here or why you are just so narrow in your thinking versus exploring these different ideas that I Mm -hmm. have. 
Todd, being for each other is a wonderful premise, but what if couples are not for each other? Well, then we probably got to do deeper work about what has got them to be against each other or what is there, is there hurt? Is there mistrust? Is there recovery work that needs to be done? Is it right? So what we want to make sure we're doing is when we're talking about differences, we know that the intentions are not bad. The intentions are not meant to cause mistrust or cause hurt. So when we reframe the idea, because here's what happens when you don't feel communicated to or listened to, you can really like, whoa, you know, he or she is going over there with that. I just needed them to be right here versus, oh, no, they're made like that. And so that's their way of listening to me. And I understand that. Hey, he or she goes into this tree focused area and that because that's how they're making sense of me. But I know they love me. So we've got to be able to know through our identity in Christ that our spouse is not doing something different to hurt us. They're just wired differently that way. Mm-hmm. Important to know. Todd Mullican is my guest. You can go to toddmullican.com, M-U-L-L-I-K-E-N. If you have a question or you want some clarification on anything you've heard, let me know what it is, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. song from the 70s. I don't know if you it know that. It is the flute. Yeah, it's Jesse Colin Young, Songbird. Oh. Yeah. That goes back a ways, doesn't That's it? That's so good. Todd. <laughs> Todd Mulligan's my guest. We're talking uh, about um, how couples can learn to accept each other's differences versus trying to change each other. Before we get to how to better accept each other's differences, has trying to change anyone ever worked mm. in the history of mankind? <laughs> I mean, I'm right. going back to caveman. Correct. Has it ever worked? <laughs> Not that I know of. Thank you. No further questions, Your Honor. <laughs> All right, Todd, give me some more. <laughs> Another one that really keeps me in business is how we go about the day. Ooh, say more. Some people are work before play and finish things and have a plan and work the plan and plan out their day, plan out their week, plan out their month. So they're that side of the street, like usually like symmetry, like order, like the mudroom to look a certain way. Here's how we do things. And we get to do things in an orderly way because that feels healthy. And we get things done first and then we play. And the other kind of person is very spontaneous in the moment, creative, open to change, loves to start. They're energized by the start. They're not energized by the finish, but they're energized by the starting and the creating of things. And work and play coexist. So when you have a work before play person and a work and play coexist person together, which is very common, here's what happens What happens after dinner. So reading and hockey. <laughs> it's front of mind, sir. I love it. So the person 
at his work before play <laughs> would like to get the dishes done, mm-hmm. everything neat, the kitchen set, and then we can go and relax together. Yay. Okay. And we're good. The other person's going, you know, oh, it'd be so good to snuggle and watch this show on the couch that we've been watching every night for the last three nights, and then we can pray it up, and I'll do the dishes in the morning. It's all good. They're, yeah. they're there. We'll, throw, you know, we'll wipe them off, and I'll, th- I'll do it tomorrow, I promise. Yeah. Promise. Right. So, like, you know. <laughs> So both are good intentions, right? Yeah. But how do they think they look at each other? One person feels like, gosh, just relax, you know. Just come on, relax. The other person's going, golly, we, I, you know, really, we should get things done and then relax because we got piles in the living room now. And see when what happens is when you don't finish things and we have these piles around. And then here we go. Yeah. Right. But shouldn't one express that I do relax by cleaning the kitchen? Yes. That relaxes me. Correct. I can't sit on the couch and snuggle and watch our show thinking the kitchen's a mess. Correct. So I tell that person who has worked before play, hey, when you go and do the other person's dishes, just don't build resentment from doing that because they'll do them them in the morning. So go ahead and do them. Do them all so you feel better, but don't keep score. Right. So is is one being changed by the other? How does that work? Is it working out? Uh, well, what works best, Bill, is kind of <laughs> is when you you know we go Ephesians five twenty one on the bit mutually submit to one another a reverence for Christ. Yay! So we find the fifty yard line where we go. Hey, I know it's kind of love language deal, right? We show love the way we actually need love. Is why Chapman's book is done so beautifully. Is like, hey, let's learn how to show love in a way that's unique for our spouse versus just the way I show love, and which is fine to show love the way you need love. It's fine. So. Hey, I know my spouse is kind of more in the moment and creative, and that's the way he or she goes. And so I'll just let that let that go because I know they'll do the dishes eventually. They they somehow stayed alive before they met me. You know, mm-hmm. you know their house wasn't condemned, and you know they had roommates in college, mm-hmm. and you know they have forty five friends. So I, take a breath; it's okay, <laughs> right? Or hey, I know this person loves order and symmetry, and they get stuff done. And so let me just you know help do the dishes first. You know what I mean? So we're we're doing it from a place of serving each other, not scorekeeping or not codependency. Codependency would be, so I better not, boy, if I, oh boy, you know, I better do it otherwise he or she'll get upset or, boy, the last time we talked about it, that didn't go well, so I'll just do it and then we'll feel better, right? So kind of appeasing or acquiescing just to avoid conflict in which eventually that person builds resentment because they're appeasing and acquiescing versus doing it because, hey, they love their spouse. So how do we find the 50-yard line together is probably the best antidote for this is instead of keeping score or trying to change our spouse, let's have a servant attitude and go, hey, I know they're wired a little differently than I am. And let me, first of all, this is where it gets the best work comes in, Bill, is when you, you know, 1 Corinthians 12, right, talks about how to use your gifts in the body of Christ, right? So I bring that into marriage too, right, where one person's really a planner, an organizer. Well, how do we use his or her gifts to plan that next trip? And one person's in the moment and spontaneous. How do we use their gifts when all of a sudden we got a flat tire and we got a call AAA and we're, we're kind of, ooh, you know, we did, the plan didn't come through. And we can lean on each other's giftedness. And then when people make that change, there's something pretty wonderful about that a little bit. It just takes the edge off a little bit of stuff that's been hanging around that they're kind of frustrated about, you know? So it's good to reframe the discussion about accepting the differences and also not try to change them and also find the 50-yard line together about coming towards each other and doing 
doing things in a way that they do things just for, just because we love them. Mm-hmm. And, and when you see that happening for each other, like for Laura and I, she's very much cre- a creative. She's a wonderful artist. I'm kind of like, you know, I'm punctual. I like order, I like symmetry. I'm like, ah, oh, just, this is, you know, I got to do it this way. And so when I see her helping out or getting things done early, I go, she, I go, yay, thanks. When she sees me let something go and we go hang out together and just talk about the day and connect, she goes, thanks. Right? So. Nice. Yeah. And that's, that's when we're at our best. When we're at our worst, when we're stressed, you said it perfectly. I'm the person that needs to get stuff done Then I relax. She'll need to be the person that creates and kind of does some artwork and pray it up. And whew, that's her way of relaxing. Right? Mm-hmm. So we have different ways to relax and we know that about each other versus, well, you're you're not thinking about me there or why are you doing that? You're not doing the dishes like you really know I need. <laughs> or, you know, why aren't you just accepting me the way I am? So, again, we're reframing the discussion. Yeah. And, Todd, this is not small change. No, it no. adds up. I mean, we're talking about the, the thousands of hours in counseling with couples, and this is, a, this is not inconsequential. No. This is a big deal. It is. It's, it's that secondary stuff that really um, moves you from transformative to transactional. It moves you from, you know, intimacy in Christ to kind of like a coexistence, these kind of things. Because it's just that loose change just kind of keeps building in a way that's like, yep, we are different. Then you even go to like, wow, did I marry the right person once in a great while? And whoa, where are we going with that? Right? Mm-hmm. Because we're different. It's okay. Trust me, if you were the same, we'd be having different conversations. So how do we really lean into that and understand that. Um, those are the big three. But while we talked about the love languages really quick, I think it's good to, as we wrap up this part, like, hey, I know, here's my love language. I mean, in your second date, you didn't say to your future spouse, you know, here's my love languages, get busy, right? Instead, you kind of were looking at, this is the way I show love, this is the way she shows love. How do we do that for each other? But we better not be keeping score. We just know... That's kind of how they're wired. That's how I'm wired. Mm-hmm. So we don't take it as personally and take offense to it or misrepresent our spouse and what their intentions are. But we know that they're not intending to hurt. They're just, they show love in different ways. And that's not minimizing something or avoiding a truth. It's reframing the narrative. Because sometimes truth tellers want to say, well, I'm not really being truthful then because here's what really bothers me. So reframing the narrative, accepting each other versus changing each other is just a a wonderful thing to lean into. Mm -hmm. Todd Mulliken is my guest. We're going to take a break. You can go visit Todd's website at toddmulliken.com. That's M-U-L-L-I-K-E-N. When we come back, we're going to talk about how to model a peacemaking conversation when discussing difficult topics with our spouse, our family, or friends. I'm always open to comments or questions, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno, Primetime Drive. 
glad you're with me today. I've got Todd Mulliken here in studio talking about relationships as he is a uh, counselor and author and professor. We're always glad to have Todd with me in studio. And we're going to talk today in this part of the show about how to model a peacemaking conversation when discussing difficult topics with your spouse or your family or your friends. So you've got everyone's undivided attention right now, Todd. Oh, boy, we start the, on this the last two years or last year and a half, it's been really hard. We've had a lot of difficult conversations about a lot of difficult topics and oftentimes not doing it very well. And when I was preparing on this, one thing that came to me, I don't know if this will resonate, Bill, at all, but like, you know, when you've brought somebody to faith, you know, through the Holy Spirit, you know, as a vessel of the Holy Spirit, you know, you have a friend that maybe isn't of faith and through a series of conversations, they they come to accept Christ. When I've seen people of faith, Christians do that, walk alongside a friend who is against faith or who has been hurt by the church or who has, um, you know, walked away from faith, we we go extra miles in general <laughs> to walk alongside them, to wait and to be patient. And to listen to their arguments and to listen to their doubt and to listen to their criticisms and listen to the churches full of hypocrites and listen mm-hmm. to that stuff. And it seems like overall, I think we do really well at that as a body. But I think when it comes to topics outside of that... <laughs> whether it's spiritual differences or pandemic differences or political differences or racial relations differences, we really struggle with having that same kind of peacemaking, not peacekeeping, but peacemaking mindset. It seems like we are more apt to want to uh, either avoid the conversation or be a last word Larry or last word Lorraine or make sure we get that last point across because this is going to do it. It seems like we lose track of James's call to be quick to listen and slow to wrath, to be, you know, active listeners, to feel understood. And our main goal is to help that person feel understood because that's what we're doing (laughs) when we're trying to walk alongside them and them coming to a a saving faith in Jesus. But it seems like we, and so I would offer, like, if we don't do these other things well, we're never going to have a chance to do that. (laughs) You know, I mean, if we we don't do these other conversations well with friends, with family, with um, acquaintances, with colleagues, uh, with peers who aren't of faith, uh, I think we're going to have a really hard time having opportunities to bring them to faith. That's been my experience and what I see in my office a lot. So I thought it would be good to, you know, not throw stones at us believers about, I we're horrible at that, but just give us a loving challenge about how do we take that same frame of reference into difficult topics that we're dealing with these days and have that same mindset about, hey, you know, I want to just hear you, and and I don't know how this will land, Bill. But in general, what we're talking—none of these 
I'm not minimizing any of these topics, by the way. They're huge topics. Uh, but they're not quite as important as a salvation topic, right? So, you know, it is okay if I'm, you know, within my family, we have very different views about aspects of the pandemic. It is okay. God's on the throne, and I'm going to be better off trying to understand why one of my friends or one of my kids or, or my spouse or my colleague sees it very different than I do versus, boy, I, I, gotta, I can't believe they think that way. Or what is wrong with them that they would think that way? Or, you know what, I actually think they think this way about that, and I bet you they also believe this about this other topic too, and then look out, <laughs> you know? Then I, when I do that, then I'm just wearing my Pharisee robe, like, hey, you know, I got all the answers, and, you know, and, you know, I'll, I'll walk alongside you, but you really don't know what you're talking about. So I guess I see a lot of that. So what would it look like to be peacemaking, Right. What would it look like to not play Switzerland, <laughs> but what would it look like to really be, because peace is actually one of the ways that we define peace is healthily mediated conflict, <laughs> right? And I just think we can do better at that. I would agree completely on that point, Todd. Um, when I think of my understanding of God's word, I feel very confident understanding God's word until I'm challenged in a way that I have to go back and study it again and again. And God's word is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, and it penetrates uh, to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And I don't know if you are like me, Todd, but you understand a verse 20 years later, you understand it differently. Yeah, for sure. Because the Holy Spirit has led you to a a better, deeper understanding. Yeah. Well said. So don't we take the same understanding that we have with God's word to our relationships where we say, I I think I understood your perspective on something, but maybe it's evolved and I need to hear it again and explain it to me. Right? Right. Is that peace modeling? Is that peacemaking or? It is. Yeah. You've heard me say the idea of how are we creating interactions versus interrogations. And when we we get out of peacemaking, when we're starting to interrogate versus interact. So I better make sure I'm I'm feeling really passionate about this topic we're talking about. uh, And I really want to talk about it and or my friend really wants to talk about it. So I can either go hide or I can say, yeah, let's talk about it. I'd love to hear what you have to say about it, because you know what? God's on the throne. (laughs) And the Holy Spirit's indwelling, and we have an advocate, and let's 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 go to uh, you know Hebrews four. Let's do this. We got this. Let's go. And so, how am I doing with creating volleys? And my four pillars mm-hmm. that I speak on are speak without offending. So I'm going to start out presenting my side with, you know, yeah, I, I've come to this place on this topic, and you know, I. Here's where I've landed on it recently, and I feel really strong about it, or I'm not really sure about it, wherever we are, right? And I'm, so we're just, we're just being vulnerable about where we're at, but then we care as much, if not even more, about where they're at. I want to care about where you're at because, you know, I love you as a child of God. Uh, and it's much easier, especially if we grew up in environments where 
conflict was very chaotic or or um, uh, abusive, then when we feel like they're disagreeing with us, we get triggered and we 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 get lost get lost, and then we feel offended and we feel attacked and and so it, we we can easily lose our way there. So when I'm proactively coming in, like you talked about being proactive for the couple going into marriage, right? Proactive about accepting our other differences. So am I being proactive with today, Lord, if there's somebody that's put in my, you know, I, I know I'm going to work and seeing these two people today. And boy, the last couple of weeks we've been talking about this topic and I've just kind of taken my water and got out of Dodge, you know, or boy, I think last time I came off really strong, you know, let me just be in prayer about how I want to speak my part without offending. Now, I can't be controlled if they are offended if I did it really well. I'm doing it the best I can. James says, you know, look at your heart, right? What are your motives amongst these quarrels amongst your brothers and sisters? So all I can do is know that my, I'm doing my best with my motive, but I'm always going to say, but how do you see it after I'm done sharing my perspective? Mm-hmm. So that's the first volley if you and I are presenting, if we're coming back with a conversation, we're always wanting to keep a volley going. Mm-hmm. Second part's harder. So now a friend of yours, a family member is coming to you and saying, you know, last time we chatted about this issue, it didn't, I felt like you didn't listen to me and, and, you know, we're kind of attacking. And so you could see really easy to get defensive right away and say, well, you know, I felt the same way. And so I don't want people like feel like they got to avoid their own issue or their own feelings there. But when we're in the role of listener, our goal is to try to understand what they're, what they're saying. I'm just trying to validate what they're experiencing. And that's why James says that so much about taming the tongue, about, you know, prayer of a righteous person availeth much, you know, just that quick to listen. I can't emphasize that enough. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, in my in my areas of where I land and speak and teach and stuff and uh, or things I hear, you know, people don't listen much. So... Listen to understand. That's all your job right there. Listen to understand. Mm-hmm. Seems, Todd, that we're maybe quick to share our premeditated conclusions with other people. Yeah. Versus, no, I need to, I need to listen and understand this because I've got a response and I'll give it to you. And here it is, you know, but maybe I haven't listened to you. I'm thinking it, of my response. Yeah, I'm thinking about my response. I've got it rehearsed in my head and here it is. And you know, and what is that like for you and I when we've just been sharing, and then they go to that? Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. It it feels like, yeah, yeah, just nobody's home. It's it, how we love one another, right? It is, which is not always easy to do. No. So here's a challenge for people to think about, and just it's a psychological topic, but I think it's a helpful topic. It's called confirmation bias. And it's it's one of the main things we talk about in psychology about decision making. So when I'm confirmation bias says we tend to bring in information that already confirms what we already believe only. And so if I'm just bringing in information only that confirms what I think, I got less of a chance to try to understand the way other people think. And at least my, when I read the Gospels, I see Jesus spending time with people that think a lot different than he does and believe a lot differently than he does. And the only people he got really upset with in my, in my reading of the Gospels mostly were people that thought they had all the answers religiously. So 
I want to spend some of my time trying to understand people that think differently than I do and why they think that. What's what's their story? <laughs> what's their story? Because I would do the same if we were having a conversation about, you know, their brokenness with the church and why they don't want to come to faith in Jesus. I would just, I think I'd go that extra mile, you know. I would go that extra mile to listen and try to understand. But if it's about a political difference I might have with them or a, spirit, a theological difference or you know, a COVID difference, whatever the hot topics are of, of our world and our society and in, in our lifetimes. Boy, yeah. So confirmation, how are we doing with trying to understand people more that think differently than we do? How am I spending time trying to understand their thoughts? Because then what I do is I realize they put their shoes on the same way I do, and my preconceived assumptions about them may not be true. It gets us out of the us versus them, we, they somebody doesn't think the way I do, it's me versus them. Whenever you hear that talk, like it's us versus them kind of stuff in societal issues or political issues, it, it, I think it gets difficult because then we're putting everybody in a certain category and it doesn't create peacemaking conversations. Mm-hmm. Todd Mulliken is my guest. We'll continue this very interesting discussion on um, how to model a peacemaking conversation when discussing difficult topics with our loved ones. If you have a question or comment, you can always text it over to me at 877-933-2484. Again, toddmulliken.com is Todd's website. You can go learn more about Todd and his amazing services. We'll be right back. Make it one day at a time. Oh, I love that. Well, there it is. Day at a time. I was waiting for that. Waiting for the chorus. Kind of how we do life, isn't it? Got to get those 24 hours at a time. Absolutely. There's morning, there's night, and then there's a day. Mm -hmm. Each day we wake up to new mercies every day. Mm. With strength to face anything you have, because he'll be with you. Even if it's not pleasant. Like a hard conversation that you might need to have. Amen. And sir. how do you model peacemaking? Todd Mulliken is our guest. He's a counselor and author, professor. ToddMulliken.com is his website. We're talking about peacemaking conversations when it's tough, difficult topics. So we've mentioned how we get to lead out well with an interaction, not an interrogation. And then secondly, how we get to listen well versus defending so we're staying in, engaged in the conversation. We're not turtling up, but we're also not creating a hailstorm. Mm-hmm. So maybe a quick ask for your audience is like, when you are under that kind of stress in that conversation, what is your tendency? Is your tendency to want to stay engaged and really maybe get a little too much fire-ready aim and fight maybe a little unfair? Or is your tendency to kind of turtle up and withdraw and just avoid because that's what fight or flight tends to do with uh, in our sympathetic nervous system. So how do we kind of find our way and pray through that and know that, okay, when I'm, when I'm preparing to go into these coward conversations, I know that Christ is alongside me and know he's for this conversation, he's for peacemaking, because he said, blessed are the peacemakers. And so, and peace does come through conflict. So we get to do that. 
So we're going to speak without offending, listen without defending. The third is how we will sometimes need to be okay with agreeing to disagree, right? So we can still break bread with our friend the next day, even though we disagree about this topic, or we disagree strongly about this issue. We can still know that, hey, that was a difficult conversation, and, you know, I, I, you know, I didn't feel how great about how it ended, um, but, you know, we, we're still going to coffee tomorrow because the alternative is worse. Mm-hmm. You know, so how do we get comfortable agreeing to disagree sometimes? Yeah, but yeah, but if they, they still don't, they still really don't see what I really, really think. And I would just offer them, well, all you can do is ask yourself, do I really, really, am I really, really doing the best I can to see what they really think? I don't agree with the way they think. I know. That's okay. Mm-hmm. But you get to try to really understand why they think that way. And what's happened in their story that's maybe made them vulnerable to think that way. Why do they come off as a last word, Larry? You know, maybe we, maybe we figure something out, not as a therapist, but as their friend. And we, we just have understanding about that. Mm-hmm. So I ask people to get into a very strong forgiveness mindset, Bill, which is setting healthy boundaries with people when we disagree, sharing if we felt hurt by something, but also releasing them as God releases us when we make mistakes. And so the third piece is getting comfortable with agreeing to disagree sometimes, but still going, watching a hockey game together, still being on the couch, snuggling about our life and what we're for with all the things we have going as well amidst the tension of this issue. We're not, we're not, I would say, you know, learn from these difficult issues, but don't be defined by them. You know, be defined by your victories and learn from these things. These are in process. Mm-hmm. We still may not agree on that, whether it's a couple or a family or a friendship. Mm-hmm. Then I think the last one is probably the most important one, Bill, and that is, let's say you have that conversation with that friend at the coffee shop and it really didn't go well. And maybe, you know, you just had a bad day and you really shut down and, and avoided them and kind of froze them out for a week and ghosted them. Or maybe you hopped to the top of Anger Mountain too quick and were fire-ready aim and, you know, didn't do the truth and love thing very well. Well, a healthy person in the spirit of wanting to maintain that friendship and know that we're for them, even though we're struggling, would own your own part. So that's the fourth piece. How do you and I do as healthy believers own our own part when we do make mistakes? It doesn't mean we're passive and codependent. It means we're we're knowing that we make mistakes. And are we the people that are leading with, you know, a confessional mindset when we do make mistakes? Or are we instead avoiding that? Or are we instead needing to be right and say, well, I don't want to own my own part because they haven't owned their part? Mm. Yeah, that's makes it more challenging. All right, here's a question, Todd. Todd Mullican's my guest. What can you suggest for a couple that thinks so extremely differently? He's extremely introverted and I'm extreme extrovert. But it's hard to be around each other. He wants to get married and I'm very afraid of our age difference and how differently we think. I become very impatient with him a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we have no emotional connection. Mm-hmm. So they've arrived in your office. What do you say to them? Yeah, I'd first ask them what are their, you know, what do, what are they enjoying about their story together and what what brought them together? You know, what are the best parts of their story that they do enjoy and what is true and noble and beautiful and right as Philippians 4 talks about? And then we talk about the framework about 
this difference they have? And have they been hurt by the difference? What have they said to each other about the difference? So um, the person who wrote you maybe would say, golly, you know, when I accept, hon, that you're, you're introverted and you're more internal and you love quiet, and I see that in you. And I see, I see that in you. And I recognize that that is how you re-energize. And it's helpful for me when you do come towards me and um, ask me about my world. It's really helpful, and that's my invitation. But her lead-out is what she's for with him and then makes a request versus needing him to become a different person. His lead-out is out of his love for her. In my book on Five Ways to Bring Out the Best in Each Other, I tell guys to pursue, to plan, to protect, to be present. You know, So how is he doing with knowing, hey, my wife's extroverted and she likes to connect and how am I doing with that? I get to do that as an introvert. You know, I, I do love three or four close friends and she's somebody I really want to marry. So how am I showing her that today versus, well, I didn't like the way she was kind of telling me she doesn't feel connected with me. So when we get, you know, Bill, when we have those hard conversations, sometimes we really take that on, you know. So if I'm him, I go, golly, she doesn't feel connected with me. And a lot of men then feel less than. They feel not enough. They feel like, well, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I'm an introvert. But he needs to be able to tell her that. He needs to be able to say, yeah, I hear you. You don't feel connected. It makes me sad because I want to marry you and I love you. Uh, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm naturally internal and I'm, I'm trying to figure that out. And that would be, I would ask her to say, like, golly, that's his way of connecting with me. And thank you for having that level of vulnerability with me. And know that to be true. So, again, I think what you find in those situations where we're different is both people need to work on their side of the street to come towards each other with more acceptance and acknowledge their own part in that. And that's when you feel more mutual mercy versus uh, fear. Mm-hmm. One of the comments um, this listener made was using the word extremely different, extreme introvert and extreme extrovert. Yeah. So, I mean, you think socially, let's say they go to a party and they, and she wants to have fun because she's in the extreme extrovert and she has three minute conversations with 19 people <laughs> and he sits yep. in the corner and talks to nobody yep. kind of periodically looking at his watch. When do we get to leave? Yep. So no one's having fun. Right. How do you solve that? You proactively talk about it ahead of time as a couple. What are we for with this? And it can be anything from, hey, these are kind of your friends, so this is what I know you need, and I'll, I'll find the 50-yard line and not sit in the corner, and here's three people I know that I'll know. Let me really connect with them. Mm-hmm. And does that make sense? So we're proactively trying to say what are we for going into that because we're so different in that area. Mm-hmm. If somebody does something that annoys or hurts you, but it, is, it isn't necessary a sin, should you confront them? Yeah, I think uh, the phrase I use is let them in versus take it out on them. So, God, when this happened yesterday, I found myself feeling annoyed, but how about you? What did you think about it? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're again, we're volleying, we're, we're okay. interacting. Does that yep. make sense? Yep. Yeah, and we're just keeping it open, we're keeping it in, interactive, and we're for each other. But yeah, no, I do think it's not wrong to confront something that we're annoyed by. I do think it's good to do a five-to-one practice so you know five to one is five affirmations for every one criticism mm-hmm. so in other words we don't want to be the couple that just brings up stuff only when we're annoyed right we want to do we want to feel comfortable doing that so i totally think uh, he or she should confront yeah. that 
Last question with a minute to go. How do we quicken the opening up process when one seeks to learn more, but the other remains guarded? Mm. Yeah. I think what you do, especially if it's really close, somebody really close to is say, golly, I feel like I'm, op- you know, being open here and that, and I'm sensing you're guarded, but tell me what you're going through here. So we're, we're, we're addressing that if it's a pattern and we're addressing it in a way that helps the other person know, hey, I'm for you. This is just what I'm sensing, but help me with what you're going through. And again, some people will turtle up there and, and the guardedness might be they just don't know what to say. So the person that's expressive can go, I, this is what I'm experiencing right now, but how about you? So again, we're, we're addressing the mess, but we're doing it in an interactive way. Very helpful. Todd Mulliken, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Bill, so I, much. I, it's always good to see you. ToddMulliken.com, M-U-L-L-I-K-E-N is his website and his web address, ToddMulliken.com. That's our show for the day. Thanks to the guys uh, for showing up for Guy Talk and then Todd for being here for the whole hour. I hope you learned something about uh, relationships and how to address the difficult ones and how to be a better listener. I think we all need to do that uh, some more. So thank you for spending time with me today. I hope you have a wonderful evening. And as you uh, lay your head on that pillow, know that God loves you, I love you, and he's got a great plan for your life. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.